We're proceeding in our study of Mark, and next week we're going to go back and do the beginning of chapter 11, which is the triumphal entry, often called Palm Sunday. But this week we are following on the heels of what happened the the next day uh, after the triumphal entry. You notice at the very tail end of the text that describes Palm Sunday, which is verse 11, it says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, it was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And last week we looked at the cursing of the fig tree, The theme of this is very similar to the theme of Mark. Mark is presenting Jesus as the authoritative Lord. He's different. If you look at the very first chapter of Mark, let's go back and look at that again. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses starting at verse 21. Sort of the, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus in public. And he had a unique beginning, different different from everything else that was going on around him in the culture around him. Uh, he was in the synagogue on this. It was his habit to go to synagogue every week. And look at Mark 1, 21 through 28. This is the, one of the very first stories of Jesus on the earth. It says, And they went into Capernaum, And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. These are, by the way, these are really strong big words. You shouldn't read them, and they were astonished at his reading. It should be, they were astonished. They were like dumbfounded. Literally, the Greek word is they were like knocked off of their senses. It's huge, strong words. What he taught was very unusual. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. So the real question is, just who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are, Jesus? What authority do you have to teach like this, to talk like this, and to do stuff like rip into the temple and flip over tables? He, for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. And again, this is, Mark puts this as a very, very early part of his gospel. The unclean spirit cries out. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? When the Messiah comes, he changes things. He comes with power right authority and the the demon knows this the unclean spirit is smarter than most of the human beings right the unclean spirit knows this have you come to destroy this and look what he says i know who you are (laughs) the unclean spirit knows the devil knows god i know who you are the holy one of god and jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. Again, who who is this guy? (laughs) 
It reminds me of that miracle on the sea. Even the winds and the waves obey him. It's unbelievable. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, what what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So now let's fast forward. That's how Mark begins his book and you could trace that very strongly uh, throughout the book. Lots of illustrations of the authority of Jesus. Who is he? He's the Son of God. He's the Holy One of God. He's God Himself. He speaks with His own authority. He actually does own the place. (laughs) And He can speak this way. Let's fast forward to our friend we met a few weeks ago. His name is Bartimaeus. He was the blind guy. He was Bar Timaeus, the son of Timaeus, as Mark points out, Bar Timaeus, sitting on the roadside, and he calls out to another son, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In verse, this is 47 of chapter 10. And you remember all the people around him, I, 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 this is just any reaction. It's like, don't, don't, don't talk, don't, you know, be quiet, shut up. Keep your needs to yourself. (laughs) Why why do we have that response? I I think it's because uh, when people cry and weep, it makes us feel uncomfortable because we can't solve the problem. And so we try to get them to shut up, you know, in some way or another. You know, doctor, we need a sedative over here. This person's having some grief. well, they tried to get him to shut up, but he wouldn't do it. It says, look, this is verse 48, right? And many rebuked him, just the whole crowd, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more. You know, this the tenses here would indicate that he did this a whole bunch of times. Son of David. Again, he's the son of Timaeus. He's calling out to the son of David. He's, this is a kingly title. And it's very human, too. He's treating Jesus as a human being, but the Messiah, you know, the flavor of depth of, of authority and, and meaning and role. He has a role to play. I mean, in the sense of duty to fulfill. He's the king. He's the son of David. I mean, there's richness here that we don't have time for, but it's talking about the eternal son of David, who will always sit on the throne of his father, David. Son of David, have mercy on me. And and so uh, the rest of the story is Jesus healed him and he followed him on the way as Jesus is going to Jerusalem. So we have the beginning of Mark, the authority of Jesus emphasized. It can be traced very clearly through Mark. Bartimaeus has introduced what we'd call Holy Week uh, with his cries, Son of David. The cries are echoed on Palm Sunday. They call out to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. See verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd hails him as he comes into the city. 
And then last week we looked at this kind of oddball thing where he it's sort of arbitrary. He comes to a fig tree that it's not supposed to have figs on it right now. That's what Mark says. It's not really the season for figs. But he finds no figs, and he curses the fig tree. And his disciples uh, the next day find it withered from top to bottom. And they say, what is this about? And Jesus doesn't go into some metaphorical interpretation of deep theological uh, possibilities. What he says is, this is about the power of God. (laughs) have faith in God. And in fact, when you pray, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will happen according to your faith in God. The, The cursing of the fig tree, according to Jesus, is about the authority and power of God. That's who he is. And our text is clearly about that now as well. Let's look at a couple of passages. Look with me at Malachi. Malachi, if you just find Matthew and just put it in uh, rewind. Uh, You know, I'm so old that I remember a VHS tape. Remember those tapes? Who still has a bunch in their house? Yes, we do. (laughs) We have two VHS players. (laughs) And at the end, you know, be kind, rewind, right? Uh, you, would, you would rewind the tape. I, and I'm always tempted at the end of a CD. Well, let's rewind it, right? I still think that occasionally. You don't, you don't have to rewind a CD, as it turns out. <laughs> All that to say is go to Matthew and rewind a little bit. And fu- come to Malachi uh, chapter 3. And uh, this is prophetic about the coming Messiah, the king. What will it be like? Malachi 3, 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. (laughs) This is rich. Let's talk about John the Baptist. He's the messenger who's preparing the way before the Lord, Yahweh. Who Who did he prepare the way for? Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. He's coming. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's what's our text about today. That is what our text is about today. The Lord, and in this case you can see it in your Hebrew, uh, I mean in your English Bible, it's Lord, not not capital, capital letters. Notice, look at the end of verse 1. You see it says the Lord of hosts. Notice that those are all capitals. Even though they're smaller, they're still capital letters. You tracking with me? That is the Hebrew name Yahweh, when you see all capital letters. The translators of the English Standard Version and most versions follow this protocol just to give you a clue of what's happening in the Hebrew text. But up at the top, when it says Lord, it means Adonai or Adon, Master, Owner. The owner, when he comes to his temple, where does the owner go? When he comes into his city, he goes to inspect the temple and he looks all around. He sees what's there. The owner, the master, 
and the Lord whom you seek. And, and a true believer, uh, we seek the Master. Adon. Adonai means my Lord. Adon just means the Lord, the Master. Part of our faith is to long for the Master. When is the Master going to come home? To His house. And uh, so it's gorgeous literature, I mean language here. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. There's an unexpectedness to the Lord's return. And we still live in that expectation. Sometimes in theology we call it the imminent return of Christ. Imminent means it could happen at any time. We truly believe this. There's nothing keeping the Lord. There's no prophecies that have to be fulfilled. He comes back when he knows it's the right time to come back. And we don't know that. It says, The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former days. Okay, so this is a promise promise about Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes, he will purify his people. Now, has this been fully fulfilled yet? No, he's still to come. We're between comings. Uh, We call the first coming of Christ the first advent, and we're waiting for the second advent. The second coming of Christ is to come. So let's look at one more passage of Scripture in this light, Uh, and then we're going to look at some conclusions and thoughts about our passage. But I want to look at Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 19, uh, just to look at uh, what's going to happen. This is still to come. Revelation 19. Uh, Looking at the time, we have plenty of time. You know, time, time, what is time? Uh, (laughs) We have plenty of time. Because I, I, I really want to read this whole text, uh, it, and it, go, it goes quickly. So you know, let's, let's button our seatbelts. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, "Hallelujah!" Imagine this massive, great multitude worshiping by saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just, for He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of the saints. This is referring back to the last chapter. Uh, The Babylon has been judged, the great 
the great um, deceiver of, of, of nations has fallen. She's been judged. Lots of people are drinking the Kool-Aid. They're infatuated with Babylon. They're sure that there is no God. The Bible is ridiculous. There's no reason to believe God in the Bible. It's No, it, 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 because we're convinced of some other way. But it's going to be judged, all of that world system. Once more they cried out, verse 3, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints and the angel said to me write this Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant. This is an angel, right? I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now now we're coming to the future coming of this Messiah. Then I saw heaven opened. The stage opens. Ever been to Forest Lawn, the cemetery? They have this weird show there. Anybody there? It, well, if you ever go to Southern California, you're looking for, like, like you're on a down day, there's nothing else to do. <laughs> you, you go to Forest Lawn, and it's a cemetery where a lot of movie stars are buried, and they have this massive painting of uh, the crucifixion of Christ. It, it's, it's, it's way bigger than our building, this painting. I mean, you know, in terms of length and height. And they have a curtain that just slowly opens and lights come on. And you see different scenes throughout the, the day or the week or whatever uh, through the whole thing. It's really quite an experience. Uh, Charlotte took me there one time. Or maybe a couple times, I don't remember. That would be nothing compared to what this text is saying. Um, but it says, I, and I saw heaven opened. And it just occurred to me, that's like that massive curtain revealing something amazing coming open. My heaven will be opened. <laughs> the Bible says every eye will see. Every eye. There's going to be no more de- debate. Hallelujah. This day is coming more certainly then we ate bread and drank wine this morning. This day is coming. It might be today. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. How big? The Almighty God. His wrath. On His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus. Christ and His coming. He is coming. So we have a little taste of His coming this day. He comes in into the temple. Uh, and l- let's look at our text again in Mark. He comes in. It says they came to Jerusalem and He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought. I'm going to just make a whole lot of like general observations and five minutes, and then then specific ones to take home. Just notice the responsibility here. It's those who sold. It's their fault. But it's also those who bought, right? So if you want to control something, you control the supply and the demand. Just a hint. Uh, There's equal responsibility. Those who sold shouldn't have been doing that. And those who were buying from them should not have been doing that. So he drives them out of the temple. And then he overturned tables. I I thought about bringing a chair here and flipping it over, but I I forgot to. So just imagine there's a chair here. Everybody looking at this? Did you see that? Right? (laughs) Just imagine that happened. Uh, I mean, this was crazy. This was like violent. There's there's, a little uh, chalk art here of of the moment. It's it's massive. It's, it's really huge what he's doing here. Uh, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So, you know, see there's some pigeons or doves flying around his head. I and, mean, you know, the coins are scattered all over. The pigeons are flopping their wings. Uh, it's, a, it's a crazy, chaotic scene. Uh, and then and, and, and he, I look at verse 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything. Now, how do you do that? You know, you get big. <laughs> you move fast. You stop people. You say, what are you doing in here? You have no right to carry this through. You carry it around. You get out of here. I don't care what you do, but you're not coming through here anymore. That's not an overstatement. That's what the Word of God says. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. The the temple's not for this purpose. It's not for doing business. It's not for buying and selling. It's not for because it's a thoroughfare to carry stuff through. You, You are obscuring the real purpose of the temple. Jesus demands that the temple be used for the purpose that God actually made it, right? 
And, and he says here, the, uh, and then, you know, kind of imagine verse 17, the clutter has settled a little bit. The doves have perhaps made their way out. And verse 17, and he was teaching and saying to them. Uh, so in the midst of the confusion, I think I imagine it, it dies down a bit, and he begins to teach, and it's an ongoing thing. He's teaching them, is it not written? Notice that when Jesus teaches, he uses the word of God. <laughs> he is the word of God, but he uses the written text, and he's an expositional, exegetical teacher. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. All of this junk was happening probably in the courtyard of the Gentiles. You know, the Jewish folks might have been thinking, well, what does it matter for the Gentiles? Dirty slobs, you know. We can do anything we want out there. They don't need space. And Jesus comes in, no, 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 the house of God is to be a house of prayer for all nations. All the goyim are to be worshiping there. That's the true purpose of God, to bring the gospel to the world, to everyone. Everyone can come. All who believe. The, the prerequisite to salvation is to be a human being who knows he's a sinner, that she's a sinner, and she can come to faith in Christ. That's a prerequisite. And that's the universal. All have sinned. Jews haven't sinned less than the Gentiles. All have sinned uh, and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's for everyone to come and believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. You got to stop him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished. That's that same word. They were like out of their minds at his teaching. Out of their minds. They were astonished. And the scribes and Pharisees did not like that. The scribes and the chief priests did not like that at all, because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So... Here's some like general observations that I've already sort of made here. Uh, first of all, like I said, what we have here is the authority of the king. Um, Jesus demands exclusive worship in, in the temple. And he drove out those who sold and those who bought. The whole, this whole system had developed. Um, we don't have time. I literally have like only like 30 more minutes here, so... <laughs> Sorry. Um, this whole system had developed. People had, they were traveling, this is Passover. They were traveling from all over the world, and they, they needed a special half shekel to give to the offering. And so that's what the money changers are about. They brought, you know, brought their coins from all over, even all over the world, and they would exchange the money. And there, of course, there's a little profit to the, the money changers. And the same thing with the doves and the other animals that are being sold. These are the, the chosen animals for the sacrifice. I mean, it kind of made sense, but this whole system had developed out of what seemed like a good idea at the time, but it just became distracting to the true purpose of this place. So he overturns the, the tables uh, and, and he won't allow anybody to carry anything through. Uh, he didn't want them to carry on their business as usual. 
I think the point of this is keep, keep the main point the main point. What is the point of this temple? Uh, keep it the main point. And I thought of this too uh, as I was thinking of this through. Sometimes my thoughts are like people carrying stuff through the temple. It's sort of distracting, like, you know, like all this traffic going through her. I'm so distracted by what's going on. I've got to stop this uh, thinking the wrong thoughts in me as the temple of God. So I was going to sing a song now, but we don't have time for this, so I'm going to go through this. There we go. Back to this. I want to get to the conclusions. All right, here are my concise hopefully, and conclusions. I think we have to admit that, first of all, this story is about violence. Right? Yeah, of course it's about violence. Jesus is being very violent. He's expressing anger. Uh, and the stories I read uh, says that when, you know, for example, when he comes to his temple, he's going to clean it out. And when he comes again, he's got, what comes out of his mouth? A sword! And he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. God uses violence in the proper way. We think violence is like 100% evil. It's not. When necessary and used properly, it's a tool of God. And clearly here, uh, this is violence in its proper place. It has a place. It was his house. Honestly, if you came back to your house... This afternoon, right after, you know, about two or three o'clock when I'm done preaching. <laughs> and you find, you know, uh, gypsies. They've gone, come into your living room and they set up a tent and they're smoking their, their marijuana in there and carrying on. And, you know, they got a ukulele and they're dancing. And, you know, like, this is in your living room. It's like, what is going on? No, no, get out of my house. <laughs> That would be a proper thing. And maybe even you could grab their bags and throw them out the front door. Uh, that, that wouldn't be wrong at all. It would be the right thing. This is the Messiah's house. It is his temple. And the problem is big. It's a big problem. Yeah. It's, it's not a little minor fix like, well, we'll call a committee and have an observation about this. No, it, it needed quick violent action to clear it out. And he had full authority to clean the house as he pleased. And Jesus actually recommends that you and I uh, use proper aggressiveness in our own lives when we're cleaning our own lives, right? Uh, he said this back in 943. We we believe he's talking in a metaphorical way, but remember what he said in 942 and following. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, what did he say? You know, cut it off. That's kind of violent. Again, it's a metaphor. I don't see a lot of Christians taking this literally anyway. You know, like, okay, none of us took it literally, right? But what is he saying? Be aggressive. If you want to stop sinning, you have to be aggressive with the problem. And yes, it's even violent. 
in, in a way. Uh, and he has full authority to do this. Okay, that's one observation. Secondly, is God defines how his temple is to be used. This is huge, honestly. This is kind of the main point, too. It's his temple, God's creation. He is the one who has the authority and right to tell us how to use what he has created. Right? You know, we live in a world that's, that's disconnecting more and more and more from that. That they're disconnecting from the idea that there's absolute right and wrong. Oh, I'm, I won't name names, but just let's think about it this way. Some of the highest leaders of our nation are not people of, of moral authority. They're people who have uh, sinful lifestyles. That we, we can't tell our children, be like that guy. <laughs> no, we try to hide the facts about that guy, uh, his you know, recent past and his past in the past, and, and maybe, maybe somebody has an absolute proclivity to lie, to just say false things constantly. Uh, it, the, it's called the second city, but I think it's the third, third largest city, perhaps, in the United States of America, it's Chicago. Uh, my, my dad was born in Illinois, but not Chicago. But we have a lot of connections to this great city. We love the city. But you know what happened, right? In the last few days, right? They elected a new mayor, and she is an out, uh, outgoing lesbian individual. And I, I, don't, I haven't done the research on this, but I bet more than half of the people who elected her call themselves Christians. There's a lot of, you know, Christianity that is disconnected. I, I mean, again, I, I'm not telling you how to vote, blah, 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 but I'm just saying this is astounding to me. You know, at her acceptance, anyway, whatever, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> what am I saying? we got to get back to saying, God, you are God. And you, uh, you define what's right and wrong. And Jesus is demonstrating that. This is his temple. And he will define how it is being used. Now, uh, I'll just throw this out really quickly because I, I do want to respect the time. Um, in the book of Corinthians, very easy to remember. The book of Corinthians, chapter 3, then add 3, chapter 6. So 3 and 6, right? Both in these chapters define what the temple is today for us here and now. In chapter 3, the temple is the church of God. It is his temple. And in chapter 6, we as individuals are the temple of God. And we have to submit to the master of the temple to tell us how we should be using our temples, right? Uh, and so specifically, we understand that Jesus wants us to be committed to him and use our temple for his glory as opposed to however we want to do it uh, and to be distracted by various traffic running through the temple. Okay, finally is my third and final point. Uh, you can hardly see it, but good versus the best. Honestly, this whole thing of money changing and pigeon selling was somebody's good idea at some point. This is a good idea. It's a helpful service. 
to the traveling pilgrims. Uh, and the, let's just do this. It's a great idea. But it, it's one of those things where the good becomes the enemy of the best. The, the, we're so involved with doing this thing that we thought was good, we forgot what the main thing is. And we're all involved with doing what we thought was good to the point where we forgot the, the main thing is that we're to be worshiping God and to be praying. And this is a place for prayer for all people. So as I said earlier, we've got to work hard at keeping the main thing the main thing. What, what is the main thing in our faith? To do all to the glory of God. Live for Him. Worship Him. And then I just say, watch out for the through traffic. Watch out for what's going through your head. Uh, get, get like Jesus. Get in the face of these thoughts. And, you know, uh, the Bible says the, the word, the grace has appeared teaching us to say no to ungodliness. We can't just let the traffic, foot traffic. Well, I'm supposed they got somewhere to go. No, we stop them. We get big and we get serious about the problem. Okay, so those are my three points summing it up. Violence, and that is that in God's timing and in God's place, he will violently fix the problem. He will. You know what Psalm, first of all, look at this. Two Psalms. One, our Psalm for today is number six. I have a marker there. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So don't wait for the anger and wrath of God to be vented. It will be vented. Don't wait. You'll come now. Be forgiven now. Uh, beg God for his mercy now. Uh, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. And then look at Psalm number 2. Just the other day we read Psalm 2. The very last part of Psalm 2 says this. Kiss the Son, S-O-N, kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. This is the message of the Word of God. We see Jesus angry, coming into His house, cleaning up, cleaning the house, and the Word of God says, don't wait for that. Come now, find mercy, find grace, find forgiveness. Kiss the Son, come and bow at the Son's feet and worship Him. He is the, the Lord, the King of kings, our Savior, our Redeemer. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So that's my message. Violence is real and it is coming. This is a little tiny foretaste of the violence, the wrath, the anger of God that will be vented. Secondly, God defines how his temple is to be used. He's the one who is the authority in our lives. He tells us what he wants from us. And then finally, let's not get caught in this good versus the best. Let's sort it out. Let's think carefully uh, about what God would have us to do. And then th this, this is the thing. Let us pray that Jesus will clean house in us. Let me close in prayer. Dear Father, give us the courage to pray that prayer. It's hard to pray, really, because we kind of don't want to clean, clean the house. 
So I pray that your Holy Spirit will give us the courage to say this in our hearts. Please, O Lord Jesus, clean your temple. Clean your house. Clean us. Lord, forgive us for allowing uh, good intentions to distract us from the best. And forgive us for allowing just the through traffic of thoughts that run through to just demand and distract us from you, I pray. Forgive us, O Lord. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us to kiss the Son, lest he be angry. Amen.